post Fourth of July podcast, everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in on Tribune Sports Radio, episode ten. Uh, we're recording on seventh floor of the Tribune building in the Squeaky Studios, as adjacent to the digital offices. So if you can hear this, if you can hear that. That's the table. So we'll try not to hit it too much during the course of the show. Uh, before we get jumped in with all the sports that we've got uh, set up here with our friends Aaron and Chris and a, a long overdue return of Kenilworth Morris, uh, I just want to give you guys a little scouting report from a possible site for a podcast in the future. While going up to the Uintas for a camping trip, I had some time in Evanston, Wyoming and went uh, cruising around there looking for both high point beers and locations to host a new podcast and I discovered Evanston Downs. Wyoming Downs. The Wyoming Downs in Evanston, rather. But... It's fantastic, and I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm kicking myself for living in Utah for 15 years and never being there. Have you guys ever, done, ever been out there? Yeah, it was closed down for a couple of years, but uh, no, I'm, I'm eyeing a return. Am I the only one who is not shocked by the fact that Ben Raskin is in love with a horse track? <laughs> well, it's, it's, a, it's a magnificent sport, you know, with beautiful animals, and the athletes are great, you know, because we have to, it's only a sport you have where athletes are actually animals, and then you've got little That's guys. That's not true. Really? Yeah, sure. Polo. You ride the horse. Okay, I'll give yeah. you that one. Um, ostrich but, races. The dog track. Uh, track, there's no human element on that. That's basically just sending him out with the mechanical rabbit. Oh, so now you're saying that track and field isn't a real sport? No, I'm just saying dog racing is not a real sport. And also what we do this poor greyhounds is horrible. But speaking of one beautiful sport, and we're probably going to hopefully record a podcast out in Evanston and uh, watch the horse races, uh, drink some beers, and uh, put some money on ponies, uh, let's talk about another beautiful sport and how quickly it came crashing down on the United States. Chris Kamrani, USA, out of the World Cup. Give them a, uh, just give a report card on what you, how you feel they, they did this year. A grade? Like an, a grade on a grade, like an A to F. Ooh. I'd say C plus B minus. C plus B minus. Maybe it maybe an eighty, solid eighty. How important was getting out of the round of death for him? It was important, but it's happened multiple times. It's it's about doing well at the next stage. And clearly, as you saw in that Belgium game, they weren't equipped. And whether that's due to tactics or coaching or formation or whatever, you can't ask a goalkeeper to bail you out sixteen times. Um, in, a, in an elimination game and expect to win. With the, I mean, uh, did you get a chance to watch the game, uh, Falk? I did. Uh, what did. What were your takes on it? Yeah, along the same line. I mean, for me, I think Klinsman did a pretty good job of setting himself up so that even if they didn't advance, he still looked like a pretty good uh, guy and good coach, although Winalda went off on him. Um, Eric Winalda, former player, uh, didn't, didn't like how defensive they were, which is kind of funny because that's the game that Beckerman didn't start, and he put Cameron in thinking that they would be able to push up a, a little bit more that way. Um, and, I mean, they were they were exposed. They were killed, obviously. It could have been – should have been 4 nothing, And, you know, there wouldn't have been that incredible goal and that incredible moment because it should have been 4 nothing. It should have never gone to extra time. No, I'm with you. I think – Jurgen Klinsmann is a phenomenal um, mind for the media, and I think you know. What does that mean? Like he's good with the press. Like he's he can good set with the, the press. Pictures for him. My whole thing is, if this was a Bob Bradley coach team, I think American soccer fans would have been calling for his job 
whereas it's Jurgen Klinsmann, it's the it's the breath of fresh air that America quote unquote needed after 2010, and you know he got him out of the group of death, and I think he kind of has people eating out of the palm of his hand right now a little bit, um, and when in reality you know he was hired to to bring attractive soccer and to bring a no fear attitude. That, those four games were as American of soccer as we've seen in the last 20 years. I mean, nothing's changed. That, I mean, that's what Eric Winalda said on the Dan Patrick show. Is, you know, in 94, they got out of a tough group and played Brazil in the round of 16, and the coach said, Eric, you're not going to start because you're a forward. You're too offensive-minded. And, and Winalda said it on the Dan Patrick show, he said, we're 20 years later and we, nothing's really changed. You know, we're, we're still going out there and putting 10 guys behind the ball and hoping for a miracle. And while they did a great job in the group stage, they should have beat Portugal. I think things might have been different had they not conceded that late goal. Um, but you play well 70 minutes in four games. You play really well 70 minutes in four games. It's not saying much. I think one of the things that Klinsman has done really well to set himself up is to, and, it, and it's probably true, he's probably right, is to really emphasize how much youth level and, and right. you know how far – this country still has to go in, right. in developing that type, that type of talent and that type of style. Um, so you know, I, I think that's where you talk about people eating out of the palm of his hand. Well, he's he's done a very good job of couching it as, hey, you know, we're we're doing this, and uh, despite that New York Times piece where he says we, we can't win the World Cup, which right. he was right. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, despite that, he's done very a very good job of setting up like we are going to go, you know, deeper into the youth levels and, and try to you know build up the national team kind of that way instead of coming in and, and promising some miracle turnaround with, sure. you know, guys that are already there. So when you're talking about building it up, like to kind of tie it into basketball, you're talking about just how these, uh, they start ranking players when they start, is it 12 years old for youth basketball where they start ranking I mean, around the nation? I mean, sure. Is it more of a paradigm shift just with the, uh, the identity of the sport as opposed to having the athletes do it? You know, because during the last three weeks, there's been lots of conversations like, well, you should be so lucky that we put our football players in the NFL, not on the on the soccer pitch, you know. But are you talking about is it yeah. more of a necessary for us to view it as the game the rest of the world does? Well, I, I just think that it's it's a shift. It has, would it, if to be competitive on that level, there would have to be a shift, which we're kind of already seeing in terms of how youth, talented youth are trained and that sort of a thing. And you see more kids at soccer academies living full-time. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I mean, you know, you don't want to send your kid off to academy at 12, 13, 14, whatever. I, I could totally understand that. Yeah, yeah. Don't sacrifice your life for your youth. Yeah, yeah for necessarily. But but at the same time, if that's, But the know, best players in the world did. That's and what that's they did, true. yeah, exactly. And in England, all those kids were a part of some, you know, youth academy for the most part yeah. uh, or, or wherever else, and then they've sacrificed their entire young lives leading up to this point to, to get to that. And, and if that's what you want, then that's what you want. And that's really the only way to get it. I, I, think, I think that's a good point that Klinsman has, you know, set things in motion for the future. But at the World Cup, you're supposed to do as well as you can. And I think maybe that is overshadowing what the U.S. wasn't able to do, as well as who he brought on that team. I mean, if you're going to need to win games. You're going to need to score goals if you want to do well at a World Cup. And, you know, outside of Julian Green, you know, saving his bacon a little bit, <laughs> I mean, the, the U.S. would have gone two, two straight games without a goal, yeah. it, you know, against two really good teams. And that's just not how it works at a World Cup. You have to score goals unless you have the defensive game of your life, which Tim Howard unfortunately had to do. 
But I mean, you're going to have to score goals. So you you know you don't bring a Landon Donovan who. I don't care what you say that he would have made an impact in that game for them if you put him on as a sub, whether what his relationship is with Klinsman or not. That that's a that's a it's a huge gaping hole in the roster. You know, you bring a mixed Discarude who's arguably one of the best attacking young midfielders in the country in the system. He doesn't see a minute at the World Cup, so I think it comes down to more than anything what who Klinsman brought, why he brought them, and why a lot of those guys didn't have an impact. Before, before they were bounced. Is it fair to say that maybe soccer just isn't our game? I mean, is it fair to say that it's it's a niche sport here sort of in the United States? And is it it's somewhat no different than Salt Lake City recently hosting a fantasy con? There's like some people are very into the middle sure. earth role-playing stuff, but that's a small percentage of the population. Uh, I mean, I to me, it's it's still a growth sport. And, you know, we're we're far behind as, as a nation, far behind some of these other places. But I, I do, I do see it eventually becoming that um, that bit, you know, big four or whatever, big three, whatever you want, to, however you want to categorize that. Um, I do, I do see it eventually taking that leap. I mean, whether it's in twenty years, yeah, it's going to be a while. It's or, not, it's not going to be soon. And and the thing is, is this this sport competes with bigger sports. I think people don't realize that. You know, you look at look at Manu Ginobili. You know, he is what soccer players are here in Argentina. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, when you're competing with sports like football and basketball, who have billions of dollars going for them in this country, it's going to take a while for for soccer to grow, and you're going to have to show kids that you can make money and make a lot of money doing it. That's where I mean. Th- MLS has come a long ways in the 19 or 20 years it's been it's been going on and with Dempsey and Bradley coming back for a large chunk of change the bottom line is if you're a kid and you say do I want to be LeBron James or do I want to be Clint Dempsey I would say 95 to 98% of kids will say I want to be LeBron especially James especially when there is a lot more of LeBron James type money in those in baseball, basketball, football yeah. I mean you, you know <laughs> right now, if you if you want to, you know, unless you're one of the best players in the world, you maybe you end up, you know, if you're major league soccer level, maybe you're making seventy thousand dollars or or you know fifty thousand dollars, and you know that's more than some people make in you year, know doing yeah. doing their job certainly, but um, it's still it's not dream money, which I, which entices a lot of kids, which is why a lot of not not why kids play, but it also fuels this this dream and passion for a number of and, of and fuel players. for parents to say sure. hey. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna keep this dream going for my kid as long as he wants. If I'm gonna believe, you know, I think a lot of that, that comes into play as well. Well, it's just I I think like you you're the current RSL beat writer for the Trib, and uh, Falk used to do it. It's like and uh, Kmo has been to the games as well. I've been to uh, RSL. Like when you watch them play, I mean to be a fan, you just need to sit through one of those games down at Rio Tinto. I mean, it's almost like it's a very exciting game. It's quick paced. They talk about there's no, uh, the clock ends at a particular time. But the reality is, in two and a half hours, you're going to probably see some of the most amazing athleticism, even in a poorly played game, you know, at that, when they go at that level. How do you translate that experience to get those kids? I mean, is it simply the money, or is it more is it the parents need to have a great 2014 World Cup experience and say, Junior is going to be playing soccer and no concussions for him? You're not. There's, I don't know, soccer's, soccer's more intricate than I think a lot of other sports, whereas I think in this country we're still um, looking for the right type of coaching. You know, I think 
who's really qualified. The Coach to, K? The... Who's, well, who's really qualified to, you know, come to Salt Lake City, go to Rose Park, and see this eight-year-old kid doing stepovers and making oh. a bunch of adults and saying, this kid needs to go somewhere and play because he's good enough to maybe make it big. We don't, we, I don't know if we have that. I mean, we, we're having these youth academies set up across the country for MLS teams. Galaxy have them. RSL has them. Seattle Sanders have them. But we still don't have that entity where someone is scouring America for the next best soccer prodigy. I, I, no, I would disagree because you have college coaches. I mean, it, there is a vibrant college game. And uh, I don't know how vibrant it is. I mean, those coaches are those coaches are looking for players, and absolutely, they're going to academies and At, um, you know the travel. The but travel once once you're talking in into high school and college, it's too late. Yeah, the window is essentially closed for most for most of these kids to be elite, world, you know, international elite stars or, or something on that level. I mean, it's it's it starts much much younger. It's much yeah. younger than that. This, these these kids well, have to be identified no later than. Well, to, to tie it in, I mean, just with uh, Dante Exum being drafted right now, kind of moving it on to the Jazz here, it's like he's an eight, he's, how old is he, 18, he'll be 19 next month. Yeah. And so obviously he's been playing at a particularly high level for, what, 10 years? You know, I mean. Probably. Our, I mean, I, I don't know that and how deep it goes into that. I mean, isn't it, at the end of the day, isn't it just you have to have a popular base of support for this activity, in this case soccer, and then you're going to have kids that just decide at one point, I want to be great. I want to be the next Donovan. I want to be the next Pele, Messi, Howard. Yeah, and it, and it takes Kyle Beckerman. I mean, it, it'll it'll take time and and energy and money and you know luck to eventually see that come around. But I mean, it, it is possible. It's just a matter of priority prioritizing it. And, and I'm not saying it, it should be over other things or not. It just that's it would have it has to be a priority for a larger percentage of people before it and with, with sports it's all filtering right it's how many kids are playing soccer and how many are good enough to play in europe it's just it's just sheer odds well, you know what question. i mean it's well, like well that's a question i've asked you after the united states performance in this world cup how many of the european uh, premier leagues are going to be looking towards american clubs to maybe make trades well deandre yedlin from the sounders has already been rumored to go to to rome in italy so and he's you know one of the best young exciting players in mls 20-year-old kid who came on a few times and did really well. And there was always talk that he was probably going to go to Europe. But this this is what the World Cup can showcase is, you know, a, a young American kid who grew up in Seattle, played for the Sounders, and now, you know, a big, big club in Italy is like, hey, I'm gonna, we want to take a look at this guy and see if he can cut it. But still, I think when you're looking at per capita per team, I would imagine a lot – most other countries have young guys getting looked at at the World Cup regardless of okay. performance after than, than the U.S. That's, that's just my opinion. And, we, and, the, and there needs to be more. There needs to be more young guys going to World Cup, succeeding, and then having big clubs in Europe say, we want to take this guy over and have him play against the best. Uh, before we move on to talk about Gordon Haywood real fast, uh, with the matches coming up this week, who do you have advancing? I know we don't like doing. No, the no, I, I don't. I don't mind. I don't mind picking when the U.S. isn't in it. Um, I, I think Germany will win. I'd like to see Brazil advance. I'd like to see a Brazil Argentina final. I think that would just be epic for so many reasons. But with Neymar being ruled out, that's that's brutal for for Brazil and their captain Thiago Silva's out on yellow card accumulation. I think Germany moves on, and I think Argentina. I think Argentina beats the Netherlands. 
it's a bummer Costa Rica couldn't couldn't pull it yeah. off. You know, they were Costa Rica, Colombia. That was what I yeah. that's what I wanted to see. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, speaking of priorities in sport and for priorities for Utah Jazz, uh, let's talk about Gordon and uh, what's moving on with him. How important is it to get this restricted free agent back in Utah? And uh, who else are you looking at? Um, I, I think the Jazz have made it clear that Gordon Hayward is their number one priority this offseason. Um, you know, it's this is a team that's not really ready. It's not, they're not a veteran away from – making a, a playoff run or, or something like that. Um, so, you know, and they've got money to spend. This is a guy that they've invested a lot of time in, in, in developing him. Um, and and they like him. They like his fit for the team, for the community. Um, you know, Hayward, I, I would bet almost anything that Gordon Hayward will be back next year as, as a jazz man. Um, how much is that going to cost? We've heard, you know, some rumors, although how accurate they might be, that, that some teams have considered him uh, for a max contract. But what we're talking about when we're talking about max contract for Gordon Hayward is not the same thing as LeBron James or Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the max, it, it's roughly 25% of, of the salary cap. It's not quite that mm-hmm. much for a max player uh, like Hayward, who's played fewer than six years so he would start out at probably at roughly 14.8 million dollars a year it's a lot of money it's a lot of money but we're talking about you know it's okay. all relative yeah it's all it's all relative and you know there are a lot of people out there that i think you know oh, i feel good about hayward at 11 million or 12 million Whereas, and then and then what's you're two or three more? yeah what's two or three more when you're talking about a team that has a bunch of cap space is not in the position to win right now and, um, would, and would you rather tie that up with someone you've drafted developed then with we saw how the fan base reacted to, to taking on bad contracts. If that if signing Gordon to a long term bigger deal limits them having to take on more bad contracts, I think if you're the fan base, and, and you know well, what, even if yeah. even if they even if they max him, They're they will they will, they will yeah. have room to take on a bad yeah. contract, and they They'll probably will. Yeah, because that's what that's the mode they're in right now. You have to meet the league minimum. Well, they meet the league minimum, and they have the space to do it. It means you know, it's. Frankly, it's not our money. It's not the fans' money. It's you know if the Millers are willing to spend up to this point, Dennis Lindsay's going to try to take on that because he's going to get a draft pick out of it or or something else, a possible tradable asset assets. at a deadline. Assets, assets. <laughs> collecting assets. Um, you know, and, and so and and then maybe next year, two years from now, you, you have that cap space. You have. Hayward and, and these other guys, you have the, you've spent money money on extending Alec Burks and Ennis Cantor, and then you have the money to go out and get get one more you know big time free agent if or at least try to because then maybe by then your team looks like a team that might be attractive to one of those big time. Well, free and agents. ideally, if you've been bad for a while and you're making the right draft picks and these guys are developing, odds are you're going to have to save money to keep them here. Sure, sure, but they have. I mean, this is a team with with plenty of cap space right now. I mean. Even even at Gordon at the max, and the cap is is going up. You explain know? explain to me because I, I have an idea of it. But when you're talking about the cap space and what they can't spend, is that the point where they get to where the luxury tax kicks in and yes. they have to spark? Yeah, so we're not, the, the Jazz is, are not going to pay the luxury tax under any circumstance. I mean, they, they've they've done it once, and that was when they were trying to make a playoff push with the D. Will Boozer era. Yeah, um, like 2004. No, like 2000 later nine yeah. ten. Okay. Yeah. 
And and so this is what the cap is what sixty three next year. So it's at sixty three million dollars in payroll per team per year per season. Yeah, and it and it goes up um, depending on shared revenue, shared revenue, different things like that. Um, and it will be. I've seen projections up up to like seventy one. Um, so with a guy like Hayward, when you're talking max contract, you're saying you're saying twenty five percent of sixty eight million dollars essentially. Yes. Twenty five percent of whatever they it, have. There. It'd be roughly a sixty million dollar deal over four years. So with a guy like that, is this the face of the franchise by this deal? Is at this point in time, I mean, you've spent time with him and you've covered him for the last year. Is this is Haywood? Is he the best fit for us with what's available? In terms of in terms of what best encore, fit? What do you mean? I'm talking about encore uh, encore prowess. You know, we talk about him not being the guy who takes the shot in the last minute when you're down by one. Uh, is you're uh, talking about the fellow that's going to go out to a rec league park and sign autographs? So the guy that's going to represent the state as well as he can. Like, you know, just, is is he that invaluable to the Utah Jazz, or are we kind of hooked our thing? We've kind of hooked into him for so many years that it's kind of like we don't. I don't know. It's like a bad, de- a bad girlfriend that you can't just seem to break up with. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I, I think that that they really like his game. He does a lot of different things very well. Um, he, he's decent with the ball in his hands. He's a good creator, distributor. He had an awful shooting year last year. I mean, no one's denying that. He shot career lows from the field from three. It's like thirty percent from three. What's crazy to me is a lot of those are wide open shots. Yeah, he was off. He I was mean, awful. I, yeah, I mean, I think you were, he was just off, and pro- probably a lot of that had to do with the physical toll of having to guard the other team's best player almost every night. Probably being asked to do too much offensively. But I mean, and, and theoretically, he's a, I mean, he's a six long, six foot eight athletic guy. He could defend. He can. I mean, and let's hope if for the sake of the Jazz, the coaching staff can continue to teach these guys how to play defense because while the offense was bad the defense was equally as bad so I think if you're looking at is he worth that to the Jazz you, you have to ask Dennis Lindsay has to ask, ask himself because he's not a Dennis Lindsay guy Dennis Lindsay did not draft Gordon Hayward mm-hmm. and as we've seen since he's he's come in Dennis has made his own made his own way I mean he's made a mark on the team yeah he's, mm-hmm. he's brought in his own coach after Ty Corbin wasn't renewed and made moves to, to get guys that he wanted in Trey Burke and Exum and Hood but if Hayward is worth $14 million, like Aaron was saying, it's all relative. If he's good enough, I think you have to, I think you have to keep him. Because if not, you're going to have to go out and overpay for someone who's probably older, probably doesn't have as versatile of a skill set, and then hope that he can be plugged in into what the Jazz have, or what, what they want to do. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, this, this market has historically been... It's been hard to lure big-time free agents in. Um, that Carlos Boozer, Mehmet Okur, some of those even loopholes that rules that caps cap rules that got them here don't exist anymore. Um, this is this is a, this is a market that you're going to have to overpay probably a, a free agent to come to. And when you've got a guy here who, you know, is is accustomed to. This, the city and to the franchise and you know would Gordon like to play somewhere else I don't know but I'm sure every option is intriguing he's a 24 year old kid with many millions of dollars that would be intriguing to 
consider all, all of these possibilities. But he, I, I don't think he's unhappy playing in Salt Lake. Well, let me ask you this question, kind of with Exum and Hood. And I always joke about this, where it's like you get drafted, you're the first draft pick to the Utah Jazz. Like, wouldn't smart money be for the player if they're only concerned about having a long-term career in the NBA to say, like, I want Utah to be my home. I want to live in this community. I want to be a part of this organization. I want to bring home championships. I want to be, I want streets named after me and a statue right next to Stockton Malone. I mean, sort of just to sort of set the table, it's like, this is, Utah's an open state in so many different ways. If you were on the Jazz and you actually took that position, that would endear you to the fan base almost immediately. Sure, yeah, sure. But, but then they don't bring you back. Look at Damari Carroll. I mean, could he have done anything else yeah, to endear himself to the fans? No, I don't think so. I, my goodness, he was tweeting, what high school game should I go to? And then he went. Like, and he'd come bowl with me and I'll give you a t-shirt. I mean, Damari Carroll did everything he could and... Yeah, they didn't bring him back. It's, so, it's cutthroat, and I, and I also, I mean, how many you're, you're talking about? Dante Exum, 18 years old, talking about three Rodney years, Hood, yeah. you know, 21. I think he's 22 years old, something like that. Um, I don't think most of these guys at that point in any in any of our lives thought about, man, I'm going to go out there and create this <laughs> grand legacy for myself. You know, it's more like, how can I? You know, I'm not not saying they're all selfish, but how can I get mine on some level and and improve my life, improve you know, and and I, I think there are a lot of other well, things that instead of legacy. The, maybe that should be part of the message these agents come up with. You know, like Wiggins going to Cleveland saying like LBJ couldn't do it for you, I will do it for you. You know, and like this is now my home. I'm going to make my family. I'm going to start a family here. Blah blah blah, and across the board on that. I don't know. It just seems to be. It seems. It seems like a mismatch of marketing there, for these guys. There's this. There's to me. This is my opinion. I think it's a fundamentally flawed opinion to think that there's loyalty in professional sports. I think it on either side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think yeah. it's played out to the max. People move on. Life moves on. This isn't. This isn't. You know, Michael Jordan. I mean. I'm not Cal counting. Can, the, I'm not Cal counting Cal the Wizards Jr., or Carmelone or John Stockton. Magic Johnson, it's that's just not the way it is, and it doesn't need to be that way. I think people are so like invested in the past. It's like if LeBron James goes to Cleveland, everyone's gonna freak out. But who cares? Just yeah. watch the game, let it happen. You have zero control. The only control <laughs> you have is signing into your Twitter account and typing words and hitting send. You know, at the end of the day, LeBron James has billions of people who follow him, and he's not concerned with <laughs> and. Most and I think checks, I think most of these guys. I mean, I, and, and then undoubtedly there are some notable exceptions, but most of these guys do go, give a hundred percent. You know, when when they're in a place, and I, yeah. I think for the most part are are pretty well intentioned. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think Dante Exum has said the right things so far. I think Andrew Wiggins said the right things about Cleveland. Jabari Parker said the right things about Milwaukee. Um, you know, and then and then. It comes down to whether they win, right? Whether you yeah. love them, or it's it so, comes down to how much they win for and you. It, it's so rare. I mean, I think the exception is maybe Kobe Bryant, who was drafted by Charlotte and traded to the Lakers, but he was there when the Lakers weren't good. I mean, obviously, the Lakers are a prestigious franchise. He helped them become great again. Mm -hmm. But most of these guys go to bad teams. I mean, LeBron went to Cleveland. Cleveland's always been bad. Carmelo went to the Nuggets. They've never been great. Dwayne Wade went to the Heat. They were never good. And now, I mean, you look at Wiggins to going to Cleveland, Jabari to Milwaukee, and maybe these guys will leave in four years when their rookie contracts are up. But that, hey, man, they're the ones who are endowed with the, this unreal skill level, and they've worked harder 
than any of us in this room or most people in the world to get good at their one skill. They don't do, I don't, I'm not of the opinion that they owe it to anyone else to loyal, to stay loyal or anything like that. I'm just of that opinion. I just meant it more in terms of, I agree with you. It's like if it was so important for Carol to stay, they would have, if he, for what he does for the community. And it's, but it's the second part of the sport. And you talk about this nostalgia, is that there is nostalgia if like if you're a Baltimore Orioles fan to look back at Cal Ripken Jr.'s career and say, this is a sort of a blue collar, lunch pail, clock in kind of guy. That's like us, like more rep- represented of the fans. I just merely, uh, with what you know of XM, if that'd be, you know, now that he's talking out loud, thinking about it, it's like an 18 year old kid at 18. I mean, what wherewithal does he have? Sure. You he know? seems like a smart dude. He seems put together. He seems put together. He seems put together. He's got Red Bull sponsoring him already. <laughs> you see his tweets, they're always like, I'm having a great time with my life. Thanks, Red Bull. I'm having a great time with my new Samsung tablet. I mean, more have power you, to him. Have you, you played family yet? You play the game. <laughs> hey, man, if I had the opportunity to play that game, I would tweet all about my Samsung tablet <laughs> every single day. Yeah, I I think that he is he is a very smart kid, and he's someone who has lived basically on his own. I mean, in these in the kind of basketball academy like we were talking about with with soccer since he was you know 14 years old. Um, he's going to be. I think he'll he'll be a fan favorite. I mean, uh, obviously he, he's a huge he's a huge get for the Jazz in terms of selling tickets. I mean, I think that might be b- bigger than Julius Randle or Smarkus Smart. That I think the fact that he is unknown helps the Jazz because they people don't know this guy outside of YouTube clips. They're gonna say, I want to go see this kid play. I've never seen him play. No one's really seen him play. Let's go see what he does. And that's a lot to put on an 18 year old kid, no doubt. But Hey, but that's the NBA game too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it absolutely is that that unknown. It became that um, probably ten or fifteen years ago, where they started drafting guys on potential more than you know the college senior yeah. who had proven himself over. When the, the high school like Kevin Garnett, yeah, those exactly. guys started coming out. And, and sometimes you hit. I mean, you know, obviously that you hit with Garnett, you hit with Kobe Bryant. Um, you did not hit with Kwame Brown, um, but you hope that that you got that guy. And yeah, you, because you you almost want to be led in on the secret. Like you want to be in on the ground level and be like, yeah, I was cheering for Dante, Dante Exum at his first game. And before he was a star in the NBA, before anyone knew, I saw his first dunk in the NBA. Because you just don't know what you're getting. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think he is going to help sell tickets because of that unknown factor. Yeah. You wrote a great story last week about the Olympics. No. Oh. You don't want to do this? Oh no, I do. I, want to I do don't this. know if it was great. It was. It was a solid story. It was solid as sound as a pound. It was. It was. It was probably a C plus story. Okay. Seventy eight to eighty. I it would, would not advanced. have advanced. No, I wouldn't have. I, 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 would I not might have, have advanced, but I definitely would have been knocked out by Michael C. Lewis. No, <laughs> no, he's past his prime. So uh, you you made you kind of set the table for what would happen for Salt Lake City to rehost the Winter Olympics. Uh, it, was it twenty sixteen? Twenty twenty six. I'm sorry, twenty twenty six. Twenty sixteen. Like I said, it'd be next year, and that's not happening. They're going to be in Brazil in a summer game. Um, kind of walk me through the investigation and the research on that story, and sort of just talk about the, uh, the hypotheticals that could take to make Utah to repeat as a, uh, a winter host. Well, it's always been a topic of conversation since the Olympics left, just because how successful they were here and how. You know, the phrase legacy is is consistently brought up and used and maintained. You look at facilities across the Wasatch Front and the Wasatch Back, they're still being used for 
for either World Cups and you know World Championships. You're having you know Olympic qualifiers at the Oval for speed skating. You have same thing going on up at the Utah Olympic Park for bobsled and luge and skeleton. So I think when you're looking in terms of was it always going to be a possibility to come back? I think so, just because the facilities are still here and they're maintained, and that saves the host city billions of dollars. I mean, it's just it's getting to the point now where I think the IOC are, is picking places that has money to spend because you can't pl- pick places that, do, that don't have billions of dollars to spend. And, and the Winter Olympics might not be as, as intricate as the summer games and more, you know, you might not need to build this huge summer venue or uh, swimming venue or, or track and field area, but you, it's still a lot. And the fact that it's so close to downtown, it's 20 minute drive to Park City, 10 minutes to the, to the Oval. There's a lot of things working for, for another bit. I read a I read in the New York Times where uh, New York said they weren't be, they would not be competing for a 2024 uh, uh, to host the summer games there, and the the basis of the argument is the mayor said why do we need to showcase New York City we're already a flagship city in this planet you know if not the flagship uh, city yeah. but for uh, Utah does it what would we need to do in addition above and beyond with the facilities that we have already is it just a little bit of infrastructure. Maybe Probably. some more hotels, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how how much the Winter Games will have changed in 24 years. I mean, it might, it might get a little bigger, but it's not like you're expanding some ex- huge reach. It's not like the World Cup that has, that has grown, you know, with more fans. I mean, we'll have a lot of fans coming here, but I think with Park City, with Salt Lake... And with all these like small communities around, I think I think that I think they'll be okay. You would have to definitely update the infrastructures because while they're up to date, you know, the IOC they're always changing qualifications, you know, certain turns on bobsled tracks, all that stuff needs to be up to date. But we're talking about tinkering as opposed to constructing. Yeah, no, absolutely, it's 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 tinkering, and I think that's what they have going for them. With the Sochi Games uh, in Russia, obviously they were on it. What was it? Eleven hours ahead of us. Something like so that. I, I'm not sure, but it was half a day ahead of us. Um, the popularity of the sport seems to still be there in terms of watching it on TV. I mean, could you make the argument that the Olympic Games are so vast and just large that it's almost better for the viewer and the supporter of this to actually just stay at home and watch it, or is it still a need to have fans to, to come celebrate the experience? Yes and no. I think I think Utahns love the Olympics, and I, I I don't know why I didn't live here when when the Olympics were here. But from what I've heard, things just shut down like schools. I mean, you I, did you guys have school when the Olympics were here? I mean, I, I had buddies who said that high, they were out of high school for like the three weeks. They didn't they didn't have school. I wasn't in high school then. Well, <laughs> my bad. I'm too old. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, I I think. I th- <laughs> 2002. That was only like 12 years ago. Whatever. Yeah. I, I I was uh, I go out, I'm out of I go out to the Oval once a week. It was up in Park City <laughs> over the weekend, and basically those venues, maybe a fresh coat of paint, and that's it. I mean, they're still in in such good shape, and um, it. I I think that you do need the fans for the atmosphere. I think that you need them to come to provide that energy and that excitement. Um, I, I just think that the that perhaps the IOC um, perhaps isn't the most up and up organization as evidenced by two thousand the two thousand two games. I mean it. 
you know, they, they like shiny new things. And in Utah, you're talking about using venues that are yeah. more than adequate and could absolutely host the games again. But, but they're, they're not brand new and shiny. Right. And, I, and I, right. that's a great point. You know, you're looking at where the, they've narrowed down the final three cities for 2022. It's Oslo which is kind of the birthplace of, of hosted, Winter yeah. Games. And obviously they've hosted before, but they'd have to, you know, shine up their facilities right. and probably build new ones. Kazakhstan, which, you know, from people I've talked to said is, is maybe a dark horse, but is a serious candidate because the country apparently has a lot of money to spend and could make it really interesting. And then Beijing. And, you know, we had summer games in Beijing in 2008, but China has boatloads of money to spend. And granted, it probably be not very close to the actual host city but i think that's what you're seeing more and more is that the ioc is looking for places to spend and spend right. and spend and make it look good on nbc yeah every single night right they they want this and uh, it, it's kind of the same charges that were leveled against fifa in that they have these unreasonable demands that they're placing on a host city that are bankrupting cities and countries and and so then you start looking at countries and cities where, well, maybe that isn't quite as important to the people of that city that perhaps the dictator or leader is a little bit more uh, concerned with images, Putin. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, and, and so I think that then that's where you kind of get into some trouble with like Salt Lake hosting again is, look, Salt Lake is not going to spend billions of dollars to try to you know, to build new facilities when you have ones that work great and are still being used. It's just not going to happen. And so do you want, so you're almost asking the question, do you want to be reasonable and say what the, what the Olympics stand for is creating this legacy that these facilities continue to be used? Or do you want the new shiny thing that's used for two weeks and then sits unused? Because there's plenty of examples of that, even from recent games yeah well you're going to see that in brazil too at the world cup I mean, exactly that country spent billions of dollars when obviously the the people of that country needed it and you you spend 10 you spend 10 billion dollars on a on a stadium in manaus in the amazon that thing won't be touched there's no. not a team there and i think you know fraser bullock who was the who was the chief operating officer for the salt lake olympic community back in 02 he's still involved with you know getting the games back here he said the biggest thing working against utah is the fact that they've hosted yeah they've hosted relatively recently 24 years on an olympic scale isn't very much true if, if, if that's my if that's mm-hmm. what six games something yeah. like that yeah. I, I i think it is going to take some someone being awarded the games and it actually falling through um, you know, it, there was talk, oh, Sochi won't be ready, right. and, and then all the problems right before the games with hotel rooms and, and venues being finished right up to the last Like the snow. When oh, Qatar well, yeah. is awarded the 2026 <laughs> games. Yeah. I, I really think that, I, well, I, I think that that's what it's going to come down to, though. Someone is going to have to fail for, and it, it could very well be FIFA doing it for the Olympics, where it's that that's where they're going to answer the question of we want the legacy instead look you've got the facilities and you've taken care of them you you set aside millions of dollars to make sure that the facilities are still used i think that's what you need um i think if the ioc wants to actually stand up for what it says that it does then salt lake becomes it comes into play but i don't think that it will you also have to take into account that 
the USOC, the United States Olympic Committee, would have to figure out where they want to bid. Just because right. Salt Lake is, right. I mean, Reno Tahoe is a definite well, possibility. They, well, they Denver is a definite possibility. Too, yeah, I mean, know, these so. are these are talking to you know some people. They said that they have to be very careful of saying you know we definitely want to put all our money behind Salt Lake because there are other cities in this country who probably would want to host and who haven't hosted either ever in a long time. Denver, Reno, Tahoe, you know, there was some whispers of, you know, New Hampshire, Boston area, perhaps hosting games as well or wanting to host, you know, an Olympic winter game. So Salt Lake might be the most logical, but there's a lot of factors that have to to break their way. And, you know, they make the decision nine years out. So 2017, We'll be back in this room on a hot July day having, <laughs> having the same conversation. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We're going to sign off right now. Uh, if you can do us a big favor, we can list, obviously you can listen to this on saltlaketrib.com uh, or go to iTunes. Uh, when you're on iTunes, please do us a big favor. Give us a nice five-star review and just a little bit of a comment. It helps get a little uh, traction. Uh, we don't ask for sponsorship. We don't ask for any uh, money for this. Just uh, help us out with about two seconds of your time. Uh, for next week, uh, I'm Ben Raskin for Chris Camrani, Aaron Falk, and Kevin Winter Morris. Thanks a lot.